this morning we are launching, as Portia mentioned, into a, a new ser- sermon series that, that looks at kind of some of the basics of, of what we believe through the lens of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we started uh, watching a show. We got, I should say, we got sucked into a TV show, as that sometimes happens. Um, Ted Lasso. Any Ted Lasso fans out there? Some big Ted Lasso fans back back here, apparently. Um, we have to make sure our kids are really asleep before we start watching, because there's definitely some language in, in the show, so I give that warning. But it tells the story of an American football coach uh, from Kansas who is hired to coach an English soccer team. Ted, he's, he's overly optimistic, and uh, he, even though he has very, very little experience with soccer, he, he somehow finds ways finds ways to get uh, even his harshest critics to, to, to kind of side with him. In the first season, he hangs a yellow sign up in the locker room with the word believe on it. Actually, before church this morning, uh, our, our head usher, Jerry Zimmerman, looked at the bulletin and he said, believe, do you watch Ted Lasso? I said, yes, yes, I do. So he, he puts it up in the locker room and uh, he, he circles the team up and he gives this, this speech toward the end of the first season. He says, so I've been hearing this phrase y'all got over here because he's from Kansas. Mike is from Kansas. I've been, been hearing this phrase y'all got over here that I ain't too crazy about. It's the hope that kills you. Y'all know that? I disagree, you know. I think it's the lack of hope that comes and gets you. See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. I believe in belief. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Does it mean to accept that something is true? Does it mean to have an opinion or, or maybe even a deep conviction? Does it mean to be confident? Believe is this word that we, we kind of toss around quite a bit in children's stories, on motivational posters, in locker rooms, on fields, in gyms. Both the baseball and softball teams I coach uh, have a, a cheer that they use, and, and a lot of kids use it. You may, you may have heard it. It's made popular by the U.S. men's national soccer team a few years ago, but it, but it first comes from a, a chant uh, that, that started during an Army-Navy football game. And uh, this freshman w- was tasked with coming up with a, a cheer, and he, he shared it with one of the, the cheerleaders, and, and it goes like this. Do you, are any of you familiar with this? I, I, I believe, I believe. And they repeat it until everybody's jumping up and down and saying, I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. Anybody heard that cheer? Phew, thank you. You've done it, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that, that chair, they jump up. It's a fun way to get the crowd riled up, to get the team riled up. But again, what does believe even mean? Is it, I hope? I hope that we're going to win? I think we're going to win? I'm behind my team even if we, we lose, but I really want us to win. Now this, this phrase, I believe, it's taken on all kinds of, of connotation. And it, it isn't always, hey, I'm putting my stake in the ground and committing my life to this. 
I'm putting my stake in my ground, in the ground, and, and this is where I stand. It doesn't always mean that. But when we talk about the Apostles' Creed, where we'll be for the next six weeks or so, that's what it is. It's, I'm putting my stake in the ground. This is what I stand on. This is, this is the foundation on which everything I do is built. The Apostles' Creed, well, I should say the first iteration of the Apostles' Creed was called the Old Roman Creed, and it was, was actually discovered in a, in a, a letter from around 341 A.D. Uh, there are different iterations that popped up of the Apostles' Creed o- over the time with a, a very similar formula, but didn't necessarily have that, that name. And none of them were really accepted in the church or, or kind of grasped in the church until the, the late 8th or maybe 9th century in parts of France and Germany and Rome. At its core, the Apostles' Creed is a statement of, of Christian belief where we say, I'm putting my stake in the ground. This is the foundation of what I be, believe. This is where it, it begins. I'm 100% in on these issues. There's a lot of secondary issues, but these are essential. And this is what I believe. It begins with the phrase, Credo on Deum. Latin for, I believe in God. It's not just saying that we believe God exists. It's also saying that we trust God with all of who we are. So I'm curious, how many of you grew up in a tradition or are familiar uh, with a tradition where you recited the Apostles' Creed often? Anyone? Anyone kind of just grew up in that tradition where you just say it over and over again, uh, weekly or monthly? One of the reasons that we're, we're in this series, I grew up in that tradition, and I'm actually hoping that we can start using it on, on Communion Sunday. So after we meet at the table together, we're going to take some time to affirm, hey, this is, this is really what we believe, what we stand for, the essentials of what we believe. So after we gather on the table, we'll stand and we'll affirm this belief statement. As a kid, I remember being confused by some of what's in the Apostles' Creed. Phrases like, he descended into hell. Or I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Anyone else confused by those statements? We're going to unpack them. We're going to unpack them, not all today, but we will get there later in in the series. Faith is going to preach those hard ones. Um, So as we launch into this this series, I do want to invite us to to just recite it with one another. So I'm going to invite you to join with me as you see it on the screen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our first passage this morning comes, or our first passage this morning came from that first creation narrative of Genesis, 
where we're, we're given this picture or image of God up in the cosmos, speaking creation into existence. If you, you keep reading in Genesis and you get to the second chapter of Genesis, we're given another image of God. So that, that first image of God is God speaking existence or creation into existence. And then in the second chapter, we're given an image of God where, where God is down getting his hands dirty, forming people from the dust of the earth before breathing life into their lungs. So that's one end of creation, right? Where we, we see God, the God who speaks creation into existence and the God who is so intimately involved in our lives that, that comes down into the earth and picks up the mud and informs us. God at the beginning, the creator at the beginning. But in Revelation, we read about God, the creator, at the end or in the new Creation. Picking up in chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, we read this. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A couple of weeks ago, as, as Portia mentioned, we launched into our, our Alpha series here on Wednesday nights. And again, it's a course that is, is uh, designed around bringing questions around what we believe and just having conversations around them. Any of you are welcome to join us at any time. You can come on a Wednesday night if you just happen to have a Wednesday from 6 to 7.30 where you're open. And, and, and we just talk about faith. We talk about issues of, of belief. And, and just there, there's kind of built on the premise that there's no wrong questions. Every question is invited. It's a, a program, Alpha, was designed by a vicar in the Church of England named Nicky Gumbel. And in the video that we watched this last Wednesday, he said that Christianity starts with belief in Jesus Christ. And he, he says that because he believes that Jesus is the lens through which we understand and see the Creator. Now, the Apostles' Creed, it begins from a different perspective. It begins from a different spot. But it lands in the same place with the existence of a creator God. Now we're going to, again, unpack it some over the next few weeks. But the, the Apostles' Creed reflects belief in the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or, or Holy Ghost. And it starts, it all begins with the way that we begin to grasp the Almighty God. The one who creates all things in the beginning and who at the end in the new creation, everyone gathers together to worship, to worship. In the 13th century, there was a, a theologian and philosopher named Thomas Aquinas. And um, I'm going to get a little nerdy for a minute. And so if that's something that's hard for you, you can tune out. You can turn off, but it'll only be a couple minutes. And we'll, I'll tell you when it's time to come back in. Uh, for, for centuries, his main work was uh, Summa Theologica, and it was seen as the foundation, 
kind of the, the basics for, for Christian belief. The work was over 3,000 pages long, and he said, this is just the tip of the iceberg. It's just the beginning. And so over 3,000 pages long, and two of those 3,000 plus pages, only two of them, are dedicated to what he calls the five ways or five proofs of God. He felt that the human mind was too limited to define God directly. So the way that we define God is by the existence or what we can see that explains what we can't see. So the first three, the, the, the first three that he starts with, uh, the unmoved mover, the, the first clause, the contingency argument, um, they all suggest a cause and, and kind of a, a chain, a, a cause and a, and a chain where eventually you get to the place where you can't deduce back any further and you get to someone who created everything, the beginning. And then the, the, the fourth, there's this, this argument that he calls the degree argument. And it hinges on the idea that there's, there's different levels of goodness and different levels of truth. But the only reason we can kind of grasp different levels of, of or different degrees, I should say, of, of truth and those sorts of, of things is because there is a standard somewhere to which we can compare those levels of goodness and truth to. And that standard is God. It's, it's, it's the beginning. Then the, the, the fifth is the, the uh, it's not theological argument, although that would be a good argument. It's the teleological argument. The teleological argument. The design argument. The world doesn't exist just, just randomly. But everything has a purpose. So when an apple seed is planted, its purpose is to what? To grow an apple tree. That's why an apple seed exists. So for Aquinas, these weren't just theories. These weren't just theories to be studied or or, were taught. It's what he believed in. It's how he got to the place of understanding, okay, this almighty God exists. All right, if you turned out because we were getting into some philosopher stuff, you can turn back in now. So the first line of the Apostles' Creed, the first line of the Apostles' Creed, it affirms three beliefs about the nature of God. First, we claim that God is indeed Father. Father. Now there's multiple places in the Gospels where, where Jesus refers to God as his Father. But he also invites his first followers to say our father, to refer to his father as their father. And, and Paul writes quite a bit about our adoption as sons and daughters, as co-heirs with Christ. Now, while we are invited to see God as father, it's important that we acknowledge that we don't all have great fathers. And if that's where you sit, if that's where people sit, sometimes we get to this place in the Apostles' Creed and, and we stop. And we stop because we say, you know what, God, God is Father, that's, that's too hard for me, that's, that's too much for me. Now Jesus definitely taught in a different culture, a different time, a different, different place, but it's a good bet that some of his earliest followers didn't have great father, fathers either. It's a good bet. First century Jewish audience would have understood that a dad's role was supposed to be loving 
and caring, even self-sacrificial. But that doesn't mean that every dad lived into that role. The culture of second century Rome was way different than first century Jewish culture. Most households in the Roman culture had had one father, a, a patriarch. And that father was often distant. The father of the house was seen as an authoritative figure. He could choose how long he wanted to be responsible for his kids or grandkids and then discard them at whatever age he felt he wanted to do so. He was quite literally the the ruler of his domain. It doesn't give us in the second century Rome a, a picture of a loving father. It gives us something else. There was a, a Christian theologian and philosopher who wrote during, the t- during that time, that second century Rome, named Justin Martyr. And when he referred to God as, as God the Father, he meant something totally different than what we think of when we think of Jesus saying Abba or Daddy. Right? When we think of Abba, our Father, when we think of Jesus saying that, we think of this intimate relationship between Father and Son. But when Justin Martyr writes in the second century... It's not that image. Martyr's understanding was shaped by that Roman concept of the patriarch. God the Father was beyond this world, was distant, was authoritative. That's what God was for Justin Martyr. And then when you talk about the intimate, close God, he would refer to Jesus because Jesus was close. Jesus he could grasp, but God the Father he couldn't quite grasp. So personally, when I I start the Apostles' Creed with I believe in God the Father, I like to think of a a combination of of those two roles, the Abba Father, the the Father who is, is the perfect Dad, and the Father who is authoritative, the Father who is 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 ruler. The father who, who is in charge. The father who sometimes does things that I don't agree with. Next, we claim that, that God is almighty. God, the father, almighty. Early editions of the creed translate almighty as, as ruler, supporting again that Roman understanding of the patriarch. Here, whether we use almighty or ruler, we're, we're claiming that God holds power over all things. And because of that, as we read in Revelation 4, God is worthy of receiving all glory, honor, and praise. Almighty isn't just some kind of random adjective that was was snuck in. It was purposeful. The Greek word that we get from it is a a conjection of a a word pan, and uh, pan means all over, and um, krasis, which means power or rule. Pancrasis, all-powerful, all-ruling, all-encompassing power. Now, I've shared some about the conversations that I used to have with uh, a good friend when we commuted from San Diego to Pasadena for for seminary. We'd, We'd have those big theological conversations for a couple hours in the car. In between those those conversations, we'd we'd play um uh we'd play. Slugbug. Any of you play Slugbug before? The Volkswagen. You see a Volkswagen? 
you hit the person. The kids are playing it right there. It's, I didn't say the word yet. Oh, and you don't, don't hit them yet. We, we, we play that game and we'd have these big conversations and Mike and I would sit down and, and, and talk and then we'd pull up to one another's house, whoever was driving, and the conversation would go another hour. I'm sure our wives are thinking, what are they doing? They didn't get it, get it all out of them. And, and we, we'd talk and talk and talk and we'd never come to a conclusion. The only conclusion we could come to on some of the, the big issues we discussed was, well, God is God and we are not and sometimes that's, that's a hard place to land. That's a hard place to, to end. But when we say that God is almighty, that is what we are saying. That God is sovereign. That God is in charge. That God has a plan. And sometimes we don't know what that is. The third claim that we're looking at this morning is that God is maker of heaven and earth. The last part of this first line of the Apostles' Creed was added as the creed is translated into Latin. And it's added because the Latin word for almighty doesn't quite capture the same concept of the Greek word. So adding maker of heaven and earth is another way of saying everything. God created it all. One of the uh, teachings that that was circulating Rome during the time that the creed began to, to take form was uh, that, that God was in charge of the spiritual realm. So that God was in charge of the spiritual realm, but then there was also the physical realm. And there were two separate things. Two, two separate things. So, so right away, the creed says, you know what? We're aware of this other teaching where God is in charge of the spiritual or the soul, but not, not the, the physical and and we want to claim as followers of Christ that God is in charge of the whole. And so, so maker of heaven and earth. The Nicene Creed, anybody familiar with the Nicene Creed? It's, it's another one of those creeds. It's Aubrey, Aubrey's mentioned the Nicene Creed a few times. The Nicene Creed, um, it, it, it takes this line, maker of heaven and earth, uh, a step further. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all seen and unseen. That's what we're trying to capture here. Maker of heaven and earth, the spiritual realm and the physical realm. We're told in Genesis that God creates the earth out of nothing, ex nihilo. Then light from darkness, the sky and the earth and all the plants and the animals, and then humankind. And it was very good. It's tangible, material. It's not just spiritual. And that's what the, the creed is trying to get at. This is some of what Aquinas kind of refers to in his, his five proofs or five ways of God. With earth, we're giving something that we can, we can touch and we can feel. With heaven, we're invited into a mystery that we can't quite fully grasp. And in this first line of the Apostles' Creed, we, can, we claim to believe in the God who, who made it all. So when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we're not just saying, I think it might be true, or we might stand by it. We're saying that we're, we're all in even with our questions, even with our, our struggles, even with the places where we're confused or the places that we feel lost, 
We place our trust in the the all-encompassing ruler who created it all. So my hope over the next six weeks is that we go beyond just kind of repeating this and reciting the Apostles' Creed. That it wouldn't just be about memorizing it or internalizing it, but that it would be something that gives us language to talk about our deepest convictions as followers of Christ. So when we get to that place where someone we see says, so, so what, what do you believe? We're able to be honest, to have some language and to be honest and say, well, this is what I believe and I also have a lot of questions. Let's pray. Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth. God, may we learn to be honest as we aim to stand firm in our beliefs. Be with us as we walk through this this creed over the next few weeks. And be with us each and every day. We pray these things in your name. Amen.